Matthew chapter 11, verse 25. I've had a lot of uh, important phone calls in my life. I say a lot. I've had a few. Some. Remember that uh, phone call I got when, when I was about 15? And that beautiful girl in my freshman class said, Yeah, I'll go with you. Now, I don't know where we were going, but I knew I was glad. I got a call from uh, Sears in the men's department. Never forget when Human Resources called me and said, you're hired. Man, I was so excited. I mean, I'd worked a lot of different odd jobs, but I'd never had like a for real job. I was so excited about that. I remember when me and a friend were in a, in a car late one night talking after church or youth group or something. And I can remember when it first, the first little glimpse inside my heart, when it started to sound like to me... God was saying to me, I want you to go into ministry. I can remember that call. That was, that was important. I still remember when Southeastern College called and said, we got your application and we're nervous about it, but you're accepted. I remember when my wife first called me and asked me out on a date. No, no, I'm sorry. That, that's not really true. She's not in this service, so it's not even fair for me to say that. And if you knew her, you would know that's not the case. I remember the first pastor that called me and said, I want you to, I want you to come and join our staff and serve with our church. Man, it was a, it's a big day for me. And I can remember our oldest son, Connor, who's now 12, the first time he looked at me and said, Dada, it was such a, it was such a cool day, you know? Now he won't be quiet, but, you know, you wait forever for him to talk, and then you go, okay, I take it back. A few months ago, uh, Pastor Ron called me and said, it's time for us to make this transition. Man, that that was an important call for me. It's a big call. You know, out of all the, all the calls, all the times I've been called in my life, None of those are the greatest call I've ever heard. The greatest call I've ever heard is when I heard Jesus whisper into my spirit, come get to know me. The greatest call I've ever heard is when I began to understand that God was calling me into a personal relationship with Him to get to know Him. It's the greatest call. Those other calls are important, man. They're big deals. And if I'm honest with you, there's times that I got my priorities out of order and I got them mis- I confused them and I thought that they were more important than they were. But when I look back, I realize the most important call that I've ever heard in my life is the call when Jesus spoke to me and said, come get to know me. Come pull away, come separate yourself, come get to know me. We're starting a new series today called the, the, the journey of discipleship, the discipleship journey. Because it doesn't take long to discover that you and I aren't in a sprint. Well, it, it, we go through some stuff. We go through some stuff over time. 
And this thing's not a sprint. It's not an event. It's a journey. It's life is a life is a journey with ups and downs. And the next three weeks, we're going to begin to look at what the what the journey with God is like, what the discipleship journey is like, what the path of growth that God has put you on is like. Now, we're basically going to bring it into three major pieces. There's that time when Jesus says, come to me. There's that other time when Jesus says, come follow me. And there's, there's that last time when Jesus says, go with me. Now today we're going we're gonna to be looking at that first piece when Jesus says, come to me. Come get to know me. Look at Matthew eleven twenty five 25 through 30. And, and let's look at it together. Matthew 11, 25 through 30. As we're reading this, what I want you to do, uh, I've often read this and got, um, got one idea about what this passage means. But what I want you to do is look at it through the lens of relationship. What, what, would, this, what would Jesus have been saying to, to the people that heard him? And what would he be saying to you and I about his relationship with us? Now, now look at it like that. At that time, Jesus said... I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this was your good pleasure. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son. And those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. If you have a pen, underline that phrase right there. Come to me. This is Jesus. Come to me. All you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I've always taken this passage to mean relief. Man, if you're really fried, if you've been pushing too hard, if you're about burnout, out, I mean, that's pretty much the American experience, isn't it? <laughs> if you're stressed, overloaded, overwhelmed, undone, you've got more to do than you can get done. You, 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 are, you are burdened. Come somehow and... Come to Jesus and he'll and he'll he'll give you relief. Relief for the overwhelmed. Relief for the burned out. Well, it is that. But one thing that I never stopped to ask before until I started studying this passage recently is what's the relief? Is Jesus going to take your 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 schedule and is he going to is he going to decrease it for you? Is Jesus going to show up at your job and is he going to do part of your work for you? I mean, what, what, what does the relief mean? Where does the relief come from? I mean, Jesus has never shown up and, you know, when I worked in the men's department at Sears, he never hung any of the clothes for me. I didn't see him. And I never saw any clothes on the rack that I thought should have been there that were in the box. 
I, I didn't see Jesus ever come and, and fix my schedule. What does it mean, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest? What's the relief? Well, the verse before that gives us some insight into it. It says that the Father and the Son know each other really well. The Father and the Son are in a deep, intimate relationship with each other like the world's never known. And it goes on to say, no one knows the Father but the Son. And those who the Son reveals the Father to. What's the relief? The relief is knowing the Father. The relief may not be having less of something. The relief may be having more of God. The relief may not be in the form that we think of. Relief from pressure, relief from stress, relief from responsibility. What may happen is our perspective of those responsibilities may change in relationship with the Father. I don't know anybody that had more to do than Jesus. But I don't, I don't read any accounts of him being real freaked out. I mean, you know, taking on the sin of the world had to be like a full schedule. It's not Monday to Friday. It's like 24-7. Coming to bear with all that was wrong with the world had to be a big deal. But, but somehow his relationship with the Father, Jesus defines relief as knowing God. Walking in relationship with God lightens the load. But, but lightens the load from what? Relief from what? Relief from sin. Relief from burnout. R- relief from being overwhelmed. The burden of... The, you know one of the big burdens that we carry sometimes? Just walking too far away from God. Maybe not our back turn, maybe just walking at a parallel distance. Maybe, maybe walking further from Him than He wants us to. Maybe the distance that we allow in relationship between us and the Father, that distance is a burden. That distance is a load. That, that distance is something that I think Jesus would describe we need relief from. Relief from what? Religious systems. Relief from legalism. Jesus says, come to me to know the Father. If this is true, why, why is there so often times so much heaviness in our, in our relationship with God? You go out on the street and do a survey about God or religion or the church or, or, or what it takes to have a relationship with God or what it takes to be spiritual. And I almost guarantee you what you're going to hear a lot of if you could break all the words down into a word machine and break it down into some essence, it would be heaviness. The burden we feel to resolve the God deal. The burden that we feel to either be all that we need to be or to stop being what we are or to relate to God or decide if there's a God or what He means or what He's saying or what we're supposed to do or what we're not supposed to do. The burden of resolving all that is why is there so often times so much heaviness related to relationship with God? I'll tell you, I'll give you the short answer. Because we put it there. 
Because you and I insert it. When Jesus visited Martha's house, and he visited Martha and Mary were there, Martha put the heaviness in the relationship, Mary didn't. Martha said, I've got to work for God. Mary said, I've got to know God. Now, now let me just wade off into a, a, a subject that oftentimes feels like this for us. I think, that, I think the hard part about our journey of discipleship in this phase, and, and when Jesus starts to call for us to know Him, we have the hardest time balancing work and relationship. We have the hardest time balancing those. You and I have been born into an earthly carnal system that's broken, and the day you get saved, that system doesn't unplug. We have to be discipled out of it. We have to take on... Take, he says, come to me, all you are heavy. Take on, I'll teach you. My ways are light. My ways are easy. My burden is light. Take on mine. Your burden's heavy. Look at you there. Take this on. And the taking of that on, well, it just doesn't happen overnight. It, ju- it just doesn't go away. I, I struggle for, with this for for. for Many of the early years that I was in ministry, and most of you who have served somehow, I don't mean maybe you worked at a church, but somehow you serve. Maybe you teach a class, maybe you lead a ministry, maybe you serve in some significant capacity. I'll I'll show you how it shows up. I'll show you where the tension is. I struggled with this. The issue comes in when we confuse the anointing on our life with God's power. The anointing on our life and God's power is not the same thing. The anointing is God's will for your life. The anointing is God's task. The anointing is the task God's given you. The Bible says that Samuel anointed David king. That was the task. That was the job. That was the, the, the giftedness. That was the, the path, the fruitfulness that he gave him. Early in ministry, I would I would say I struggle with this so much. I'd say, "Oh man, I, I've got you service tonight, and I and I haven't I didn't do my devotions this morning, and now the day's gotten away from me, and I I don't have to I can't get it done now, and this tonight's service is going to be terrible. It's going to be miserable. God's not going to do what He wanted to do. He's not going to talk to the people that He wanted to talk to. This this, this is going to be a terrible night. God's not going to use it. He's not going to use me. People's lives won't be touched the way they should have been because I didn't do my devotions. I didn't meet with God. I didn't pray. I didn't read the Bible. And guilt would pile on top of guilt. Now, if if you've ever served in any significant capacity in the kingdom and you've not felt that, maybe you haven't. I felt it. And I think most people who serve feel it somehow. Because it's the patterns of the old life that linger. Let me tell you what I've learned. You're no, now I'm going to make a, a, I'll just wait off on thin ice. You're no less anointed when you do your devotions than when you don't. Our anointing is not our prayer covering, it's our ministry. David was anointed king, but called to be a son. Abraham was anointed father, but called to be a son. Paul was anointed to be a missionary, but called to be a son. I'm anointed to be a pastor, but I'm called to be a son of the father. 
Do you know if I did my devotions this morning or not? Can you tell? I'm functioning in my anointing. Can you tell the difference? Anointing's not power, it's calling. We get into trouble when we allow our anointing to overtake our relationship or we think the purpose of our relationship with God is to fuel our anointing. Now, if you're taking notes, I want you to jot this down today. Do not allow yourself to be defined by your anointing, but by your relationship. You are not what you do. You are not what you do for God. It's easier sometimes to separate if you, if you have a, 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 a job outside the church. But even then, even then, what, what, what a men, when men gather in circles, what do they say? Where do you work? Why do they want to know that? Because I want to know who you are. Where I work's not who I am. But as you move that into the church world, it gets even more confusing. Well, God called me to be a pastor. What am I? I'm a pastor. No, I'm not. I'm a son. I'm a child. It's not what I am. It's what I do. Don't ever confuse or allow yourself to be defined by your anointing. Look, Jesus wasn't defined by his ministry. Jesus was defined by his relationship with the Father. What did this verse say? Me and the Father have a relationship like the world's never seen. What did Jesus say defined his life? Me and the Father are together. Me and the Father are one, he said in John. If you walk in your ministry, you're anointed. See, here's the problem that, let's just extrapolate this out. I used to do my, I'm just going to confess to you. This is my confessional booth. Welcome. I used to do my devotions with a hidden agenda. I'm going to pray. I'm going to seek God's face. I'm going to get closer to God so that I, so, so, so that I can be better at what I do. Now look, I'm splitting hairs this morning. I'm going to seek His face. I'm going to pray. I'm going to do my devotions. I'm going to to do what I'm supposed to do. I'm going to get in there with God. I'm going to do what I'm supposed to do. Why? Because when I do, I'll come out more effective for Him. I acted like ministry was something that I wanted and relationship was something God wanted. And I would give Him what He wanted in exchange if he would give me what I wanted. Do you see how broken that system is? It's just broken down. The greatest call God has ever shared with us is not the call to do something for him. It's the call to know him. Now you may say, look, I I don't teach any class and I don't lead anything and I don't run anything, but I'm a Christian. Well, let me tell you how this might show up in your life. It might happen to you something like this. You haven't spent time with God. You, 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 haven't, you haven't prayed. You haven't read your Bible. You haven't uh, 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 gone to worship service. And I don't know. Everybody's different. Whatever amount of time it takes you to begin to work up some guilt over that kind of stuff. Just set it there. I don't know if it's a day, a week. I don't know what it is. Whatever amount of time it takes you to set up guilt over not doing those things. Let's just put you in that place. You're there. And then what happens? Something goes wrong. A sickness comes in. 
A tragedy happens. A crisis. You let your guard down and you begin to do things that you know are wrong. What happens? What happens? At least, if you don't say it out loud, if you don't say it in your mind, you at least say it in your emotions. You say, I can't come to God now. Why? Because I've been too distant. I mean, I've not... I've not done what I'm supposed to do. I, 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 I can't bring this crisis to him now. He's not going to give me wisdom now. I didn't do my part. He's not going to help me out of this. He's not going to help me understand what's going on. He's not going to give me discernment. He's not going to give me wisdom. Why? Because I've been ignoring him. Listen. And now that I've ignored him, I don't deserve... To bring it to him. And I, in the end, I just feel too guilty. I can't come to God now. If you're taking notes, grab onto this one. At that moment, what you think is being revealed to you is the distance between you and God. But at that moment, the distance between you and God is not what God's showing you. At that moment, what God's showing you is what your real motive for wanting to get to know Him in the first place is. Are you with me? What you're beginning to learn is that the motive that you have to get to know Him in the first place is basically this idea. Okay, we never say it out loud, but in our emotional system, because we all started this thing falling... And we come into that relationship, we come into that journey, and at the beginning of it, when we hear God saying, come to know me, in our emotional system, what begins to happen is, is we just say, you know what? I, I guess, I guess if I'm honest, what I really believe is, if I go in there and I do my devotions, and I'm a good little boy, and I'm a good little Christian, then, then God will do stuff for me. If I do my part, we're still in a worldly system of exchange. Everything has to be earned, deserved, and bought. If I do my part, God will do His part. If I, if I, if I, I didn't do my end of the deal. Something swells up inside of us when we hear stuff like this. And we say, well, you, you can't tell people that. If you tell people that, they're not going to read their Bible or pray. I mean, I mean, if, if you change that, how do you get people to do their devotions? You know what I've actually found? I've actually found it has the opposite effect. I've actually found once you realize you're safe in God and He will hold you and He will keep you, and once you accept God for who He is, and you put faith in Him as He is. Once you realize His anointing is yours, once you realize His presence is yours, you'll stop working for it. And now you're free to do your devotions. Now you're free to read your Bible. Now you're free to pray. You're not trying to earn anything back. God, I just, I just came today because... Well, I guess I came today because... I heard you call me to come get to know you. Lord, I don't really want anything. 
Or maybe I do, but maybe the most important thing, I really want you. Lord, I didn't come today because I think something bad's going to happen if I don't come. It's fear-based relationship. Lord, I didn't come today to relieve the guilt of how many times I haven't come. Guilt-based relationship. Lord, I came today because it's just getting clearer and clearer to me that you really love me. And that love calls me. It just calls me to come inside this relationship with you. You're taking notes. Anything that drives you to do your devotions and get to know God, except pure love for Him, is dangerous. In the long run, look, it may keep you highly motivated. Hey, fear is a highly motivational emotion. Guilt is a highly motivating emotion. But in the long run, it will burn you. And, And what you may realize is, you're not, you may realize you're not as close to God as you think. See, what this all comes down to is this. But, but how, look, something's bad happened in my life. It took me years of discipleship to understand that I could have not done everything the way I was supposed to do and something happened and I could walk right into the throne room like the Bible tells me to, to enter the throne room boldly and say, God, I'm not here on my own account. I can't, uh, how do you get into God's presence? You can't earn it. You can't deserve it. You can't not sin enough to deserve to be there. What merit is it that you have and I have to enter anyway? It's not based on your works or your righteousness or how good you did this week or how bad you did this week or how much sin you did or didn't do or how often you did your devotions. It's the finished work of Christ on the cross. That's the only open door you and I have to God. What did verse 27 say? Verse 27 says, The only people that know God are the ones that the Son has chosen to reveal the Father to. Let me tell you why you have a right to come to God. Because He picked you. How does that feel? It feels incredible to me. Because He picked you. He handpicked you. He lined you up, and he said, that one right there. And he did that to every one of us. You have a right to come into God's presence based on his choice, his death, his forgiveness of your sin. It's based on what he did. What does that call to know him sound like? I mean, when he says, come to me. Early in my life, I was searching for something. When I was 15, I just got to a point I realized my life was um, empty. And And I realized I was missing something. Now listen to me for a second. Isn't it something how looking looking at something in the moment, it looks one way, but then years later you look back over it and you see it you see you see what was going on, you see something different? What I was then is I was a fifteen year old who was empty and and I just came to the awareness that something's 
something's, something's missing in my life. And I, I, didn't, I couldn't figure out what it was. I was like a blind person fumbling through the dark, reaching, trying to, trying to grab for meaning. I was on a search. Here's what I didn't know. I thought I was guiding the search. I thought I initiated the search. But it was his search and not mine. And it really wasn't even a search. What I thought was emptiness, what I thought was a blind person feeling his way through life trying to find meaning, was actually God's voice saying, come to me. What I thought was my search was actually his voice. What, what, did, what does the call sound like? It sounds like the distance between you and God. It sounds like the ache that you feel when you realize you haven't spent the time with Him that you, you wanted to. That you knew you needed to. That distance, that ache, that longing, that emptiness that you feel, whether you're a believer or not, is the voice of God saying, Come to me. Come to me. Pull away and come to me. God doesn't like the distance. He loves you because He loves you because He loves you. And because He loves you, He wants you to get to know Him. Why is there so much burden related to our knowing Him? The heaviness I described earlier. Some say it's my undisciplined flesh that needs to be brought into submission. Well, that, without a doubt, Galatians 5 tells us that's part of the Christian life. But as I look at Matthew chapter 11, I don't see more work. What I see in Matthew 11 is more relief. Come to me, and I'll, I'll take the load. Back in the late 90s, I had the opportunity to go to Heritage USA. I don't know how many of you know what that is. Jim and Tammy Baker, when they had their big deal in Virginia or North Carolina, wherever it was, we had a, a, a Bible quiz meeting with teenagers there, and I got a chance to go. And it was after the whole thing had blown up and the wheels had fallen off and the media circus had happened and, you know, resignation and the place had been sold off to Malaysian businessmen. And I got a chance to go there and, and I, I'm telling you, I've never seen such an impressive property in my life. High rise, you know, maybe eight or nine story hotel with a Gatlinburg multi-shop like foyer area to walk through lime trees golf courses entire house communities built around it cabins that would hold 100 and 200 and 300 people elaborate water work systems with walkways and paths and islands and good grief it blew my mind one night I was separated from the team and as far as I know I was the only person on that campus now, I'm going to tell you, that's creepy. It's a big, 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 big place. And I walked out and I saw a house with a big wrought iron fence around it, right in the middle of the property. It was a retreat house. 
And I went and looked in the window. It was about a 5,000 square foot country lodge villa. It was like a home, but it was beautiful and enormous. And I looked in the windows, and all the furniture had white sheets draped over it. There was a grand, this is how big this house was. There was a grand piano in the living room with staircase banisters around every side. You could look up, and I went around and looked in all the windows. I mean, it looked like, it looked like an elaborate home at an American village. I mean, it was beautiful. Everything was perfect. Chandeliers, candelabras, fully appliced kitchens, fully furnished house. But everything had sheets on it. The strange part about it was it was, well, it was abandoned. It was vacant, deserted. I looked at that, and it was the strangest thing I'd ever seen. I've never seen something so full that was so empty. I never saw something that was so prepared to do so much, but was so void. All the things that life could ever afford you was on that property somewhere. But all the things in life that really matter were gone. There were just no people. And I thought, isn't that a metaphor sometimes for the American church? And isn't that a metaphor sometimes for the American Christian's life? I can show you how full my life is by my, by my schedule, by my checkbook. By, by, I got all these mathematical external markers by my possessions, by what I own, by what I do, by the meetings I'm invited to, by this and that and the other. So much life, or what we think is life. But man on the inside just covered up with sheets with about an inch of dust laying on everything. God has called us to know Him.